0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: Interesting passage uh, this morning. and much to think about here in, in the light of uh, understanding uh, the essence of, of, of biblical faith. Uh, what the Bible means when it, when it talks about faith and, and uh, how that impacts our lives. If, if there's one phrase that I would like for us to uh, maybe go away remembering this morning, it, it would be simply this. And I'll try to explain this as we go. It sounds sounds very simple, but it, has, it is simple in one sense, but it has uh, profound uh, uh, implications for our, our daily living. Um, that is this, Jesus is able. Jesus is able. Here we find uh, another account um, of Jesus displaying his supremacy and authority. That is, Matthew gives us uh, here another record. Another opportunity for Jesus to put these things on display. He is just returning from the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, and by the way, I'll warn you up front. I'm probably going to spend quite a bit of time in Mark nine. Uh, the the parallel passages for this for this uh, event here are Mark nine fourteen through twenty nine and Luke nine thirty seven through forty three. Now, Luke is, is like Matthew in this sense, that he gives just a, a, a very condensed version of what happened, just kind of the basic facts. Um, Mark, on the other hand, gives quite a bit of detail, and so that's the reason I'm going to uh, be referring to Mark's account quite a bit. It helps shed some light on some things that we, that we don't have here in Matthew. Um, so Jesus is just returning from the mount. If you remember last week, that's that's where uh, Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John went went up to the to, apart, you know, to pray. And and Jesus was transfigured before him. They before them. They they got a glimpse of his glory, and also saw Moses and Elijah who had come to speak with Jesus about his death. And we were on the road now to the cross. He's preparing them. For his suffering and death that are to come, so he's just—they've just returned from that experience, and now they're getting back to the crowd. And Mark tells us that when Jesus comes on the scene, he finds his disciples in a dispute um, with with the scribes. There, in fact, let me go ahead and turn there myself now. Like I say, I'll, I'll probably spend more time there than in Matthew, or else we'll be jumping back and forth. But in Mark uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 14 says, When he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. And then uh, he says a little further down, verse 16, he asks the scribes, What are you Discussing with them. Now the word dispute in verse 14, disputing, participle in verse 14. And, uh, and the word discussing in verse 16 are the same word, same root word. Uh, so he finds them disputing with the disciples. And then he basically asks them, what are you disputing about? Or what are you discussing? You know, the, the word can, of course, as it is here, the word can be translated either way. And sometimes it is difficult, isn't it, to tell the difference in a discussion and a dispute. <laughs> you know or sometimes it, you're pretty sure that's a dispute and they oh we're just having a discussion um, and uh, and that seems to be a characteristic uh uh you know different ethnicities different cultures have their um have their own little uh uh identifying characteristics and so forth this this is one that seems to be common with the jews anyway i remember a friend of mine who traveled to uh israel uh 20 years ago or more, I guess. See, that was one of the things he noticed in the public places there that, um, th- you know, these men, or he said, you know, just about these this far apart, they're in each other's face, shouting, but uh, they weren't mad. They were they were just having discussions about things. <laughs> so that may be kind of the picture here. So Jesus says to them, "What are you disputing about, or what are you discussing?" Um, and, and this is what is taking place when. He walks up on the scene. Also, Luke, just to, for uh, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. L- Luke mentions that this is on the next day uh, after Jesus was transfigured before them. Okay, so what were they disputing about? Well, here's here's the situation, and I'm sure uh, the scribes were trying to uh, take advantage of it to their to their favor. Um, a man had brought his son to the uh, disciples to be healed, and they were unable to do it. And back in, whoop, get on the right page here. Back in Matthew, it's recorded this way: When they came, Matthew uh, seventeen fourteen, when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down. That is, came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying. Lord, have mercy on my son. And as I said, you read Mark's account and you find out he's already been to the disciples um, to no avail. Now, Matthew 17 goes on to say uh, in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Now we, we're going, we learn here that this, this boy is um, demon possessed. Um, some of the uh, uh, modern translations, and like the one I just read from, use the term epileptic" uh, because the symptoms here um, fit. you know they're, they're very similar, it's like he's having seizure. Literally, uh, <coughs> the old king James gets. Uh, gets more at the heart of the word, you know, as far as etymologically, it preserves the the, the meaning of the word. Uh, it uses the term lunatic, which means moonstruck. And that is what the, the Greek word means, moonstruck. My son is moonstruck. And so there was a, a, a belief, and, and probably not, not totally unfounded, but uh, uh, the idea was that his, his symptoms, depending on the stage of the moon, the phase that the moon is in, his symptoms... Uh, get worse or or uh, intensify, but again we, we we come to find out as we read on that the problem is uh, that he's demon possessed. Now let me let me say this before we go any further. Um, oftentimes Jesus heals somebody of sickness, disease, and uh, there's no mention of demonic activity. And the reason I point that out is because it's that's not always necessarily. The case. Now, sometimes there was. Here, this this boy was having uh, what we would refer to as, as seizures, or at least something like seizures. Uh, the same type symptoms. He was also deaf and mute. But that certainly doesn't mean that every deaf person has a demon. Or that every mute person has a demon. Or that every person who has seizures has a demon, But in this case, they were uh, demonically induced. And also, uh, let me point this out because of a lot of the things that get said in our day and time. Uh, uh, a demon is a fallen angel. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a bad person who died and then uh, harasses people that are still here. Um, people who die do not become angels. People who die remain people, human, uh, human beings. Uh, they never. We, we will never be angels. We will never be angels. We will never be gods. These are angels. They, the term demon is used to refer to angels that rebelled against God. They are fallen. That is, they have fallen into sin, into rebellion. Now, let me say this. Uh, because when you think about God's gracious gift of redemption, here, here's, a, here's a distinction that, that we need to think about often. And this is also applicable. Wednesday night we were talking about election. God's uh, sovereignty in electing individuals to salvation. At least from what we know from the Bible, there, there's nothing to indicate that fallen angels can be saved their lot so to speak is fixed uh, in the sense that there's 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 not going to be there's not angels that are, that become demons you know they fall they rebel against God and, and they become demons and then later they repent and are saved we don't have any 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 indication of that this is a distinction we can make one distinction we can make between angels angelic beings and human beings God chose to save some among fallen humans. He doesn't owe it to us any more than He owes it to the angels. He's not unrighteous for leaving them to perish. He would not be unrighteous for leaving all of us to perish. Those who are saved are saved by God's grace. So. Um, there's no redemption story for the angels. And this is why they are so, the, 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 uh, the holy angels, the ones who uh, remain um, in right relationship to God, this is why they are so fascinated with us, with Christians, with God's redemption plan. Because it is unique, uh, different from their experience. Um, God chose to save sinners. That's an awesome, awesome truth that we ought never. Uh, we do take it for granted. We should never take it for granted. All right, so this boy is possessed by a demon, a fallen angel. This is a, an angel that has uh, rebelled against God and, uh, and God's will and is now wreaking havoc in the, in the life of this, this young boy. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, we, we, we get a couple of rebukes from Jesus Recorded. And uh, the first one is also in Matthew, Matthew seventeen 17. Uh, first in verse 16, the man tells Jesus, uh, you know, your disciples couldn't heal him. I brought, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. That is, they were unable. That's the word there. Could not. They didn't have the power, literally. It's the word uh, for power. The word from which we get our word dynamite. It's a common Greek word for power or ability. I brought him to your disciples. They didn't have the ability to heal him. Why not? Well, we're going to find out momentarily. And then Jesus responds this way. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Um, that statement has always seemed kind of strong to me. And I've always, uh, um, I don't know, it's just always uh, kind of got my curiosity up, I guess, because I, I, I pictured him as speaking directly to the disciples. The man is saying, you know, I brought my son to your disciples to be healed. They were unable to do it. And so Jesus responds, and I guess in my mind I'm him, in my mind, I'm picturing him looking at the disciples and the man and, and saying, you know, perverse generation, um, how long will I bear with you? How long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? And it may be true that they're included in this, but that, that would has always puzzled me because it would seem a little harsh toward the man and maybe even to the disciples who Jesus does sometimes uh, rebuke somewhat harshly, but... Um, Characteristically, he's very patient with the disciples. <laughs> and, uh, and boy, again, another word of encouragement for us uh, when, who are slow of heart. And Jesus is patient and long-suffering. And even his rebukes that seem to be harsh to us are intended to make us stronger. They're not to beat us down. But here's what I was going to uh, note here. I was, I was uh, lo- looking at John Calvin's commentary on this. And he, he suggests, because of Mark's account... That that statement Jesus is actually directing to the scribes, and I would say that's very likely a possibility. You know, we don't we don't know for sure, but uh, he is winding down here, so to speak, in his ministry. He's he's getting closer and closer to the cross, and we know that he has warned uh, that he does warn the Jews. You know, you you've missed your day of visitation, and you see that hinted at here. How long will I bear with you? I want how long will I be with you? How long will I, will I hold you up? Will I bear with you? How long will I uh, endure you? And so it does seem to suggest that, that he's saying, look, your, your time is running, is running out. I'm, a, I'm about to be taken away. And you've missed the day of your visitation. And so he, he says to them bluntly, refers to them as a faithless, Generation, a pistos is the word there, no faith, like atheist means no God. Someone who doesn't believe in God, we call an atheist. The term literally means no God. This is a pistos. Pistos is the word for faith. No faith. No faith. You're a faithless generation. You have no faith. Now, here's one of the first things I want to, want to kind of kind of bring out here. Um, in regard to, uh, as I said earlier, uh, keeping in mind that Jesus is able, that having that mindset, that understanding requires faith. And yet, even those who have faith, at times, we don't have the the faith that we should have. In fact. I'd certainly say that's always the case in my own experience. Never have the faith that I should have. So I, I believe, but I don't believe like I should. So maybe in one sense, it could say you could say or we could say about ourselves: we we believe and yet we don't believe because we we believe we believe in Christ, we trust Christ, but then again, maybe we don't. Probably we don't go as far as we should in trusting Him. And we see this often with the disciples, don't we? They're not trusting Him like they should. I'll come back to that in a minute. But first of all, no faith. No faith. Jesus says to the crowd, to the, to the, probably again specifically to the scribes who were disputing with His disciples, You're a faithless and perverse generation. And generally speaking to all of the Jews there, because we know that ultimately He's rejected by the whole nation. Generally speaking, not that every Jew rejected him. He had he had his remnant, the eleven disciples for one. You know, twelve minus Judas, the eleven, and then you had other followers that were with him um, to the end, and remained after his uh, after his death and resurrection, like like the women who followed him, the different Marys, and and Martha and so on. Um, You get over into Acts, you've got 120 disciples in an upper room praying. But generally speaking, the nation as a whole rejects Christ. They reject His Messiahship. Reject Him as Savior, as Christ. So, here's here's the interesting thing. While they've got all the appearance of believing, they don't believe. Now, why do I say they have all the appearance of believing? Because outwardly, they're very religious people. Jesus is talking here, first of all, to to Jews, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, descendants of, of Isaac and Jacob, set apart by God, called out from among all the nations and set apart by God to be His own special, unique people, Here they are, represented by the people that stand before Jesus on this very day, and yet they don't don't love Him, they don't believe on Him. And He has to honestly refer to them as a faithless and perverse generation. But they're God's chosen people in one sense, and they have God's law. What we have today... In our Bibles, referred to as the Old Testament, from, from Genesis to Malachi, that's what they had. That's, that was the Scripture that they had. They referred to as the writings or the holy writings. They had God's Word. It was from among them that God's prophets, God's spokesmen were raised up. And to them, primarily, that God's prophets were sent. And so you've got a whole history behind them from... Uh, from the point in time where God creates them by calling Abraham out of pagan land and telling him i 'm going to make you father of many nations all the way um, through his descendants and through their you know they're becoming in actuality a nation, their bondage in Egypt, their deliverance from Egypt, their establishment as a as a sovereign nation and uh, we have their Kings and Judges and until you get to the dispersion where they're taken away to Babylon. And once again, they're in captivity and remain there for a period of about 70 years. And then once again, some return to their homeland. We've got all of this history behind the Jews. And here they are once again gathered in their homeland in Jesus' day in the first century. They've got all of the blessings and promises of God. They are set on the earth as a testimony. To His name. They have His temple where His presence was manifest in a special way. Housed the Ark of the Covenant. It was the place of worship, the place of sacrifice. They've got all of these things, all of the paraphernalia, if you will, of religion. In fact, the, tr- the true religion, it's not even that you know the things that they are doing are false. The sacrifices that they are observing, the feast days that they, that they are observing, all the things they are doing, commanded by God. And some they added themselves, but nevertheless, they, they were, they were um, adhering to God's law, God's Word, in, in some outward form. And yet, Jesus could say truthfully of them, you have no faith. You're a faithless and perverse generation. Faithless and Faithless generation, Mark nine nineteen says, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? That is, how long shall I endure with you or, or sustain you, hold you up? And then he says, Bring him. To me, that is bring the boy to me. Then they brought him, and I'm still in Mark here, Mark nine twenty. They brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Is that um, does that run a little counter to what you might expect now that Jesus is on the scene? And what I mean by that is this, uh, you know, the, the man says, you know, he, oftentimes the demon takes hold of him and he convulses and he's cast into the water and cast into the fire. He says it also here in Mark. But now that Jesus is on the scene, wouldn't you expect that that's not going to happen in his presence, Right. and it's it's an it's almost an anomaly it's at least a uh, you know sort of a strange thing to us that sometimes when deliverance is about to happen <laughs> things just get worse which makes sense if you think about it satan intensifies his efforts because he sees that his time is short the demon the the Jews here they're faithless they don't they don't they don't understand they don't believe who Jesus is other than they see him as you know they give some kind of mental assent they see him as a miracle worker but the demon knows who he is and the demon knows what's about to happen he knows he's powerless against Christ and the time for this young man's deliverance is just about here And so he makes a last ditch effort to destroy this child. But of course, to no avail. And then there's a discussion here between Jesus and the Father that I've always found interesting. Verse 21, Mark 9, verse 21. He asks the Father, How long has this been happening to him? Now, if, if you, you have some kind of ailment and you go to the doctor, that's the kind of thing you'd expect, right? Tell me about your symptoms and uh, you know, how, how long you've been experiencing them. Or if you go to the doctor, and uh, you know, a lot of times if you go to a mechanic or a doctor, you, you can't get whatever's wrong to happen, right, you know, when, when you're in their presence. But if it does, then you don't even have to explain the symptoms. He can, he can witness the symptoms, but he's probably going to want to know, how long has this been going on? But Jesus is not a doctor not not in not in that sense, not a medical doctor he's a miracle worker now the only, he's the Son of God, not a miracle worker in, in you know in, in, a, in some kind of uh like superhuman sense he's the son of God, but this man knows, and this is my point this man knows he works miracles, don't you think what has to be going through his mind is Let's, let's talk about it after he's, he's been delivered. Don't you find that interesting that Jesus is asking these questions instead of just immediately setting the boy free? Now, I know it doesn't take long. You say, well, he's about to, and it doesn't take very long. But if you put yourself in that boy's position, and if you put yourself in the position of his father, you don't want to waste a second. And Jesus asks, how, how long has he been like this? How long has this been happening to him? And the Father answers, from childhood. And he gives the explanation again, as we also have recorded in Matthew. Often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Listen, <laughs> listen to where he goes, though. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us you kind of hear His heart there? Let's, let's don't talk about this thing. If you can do anything, help us. And can you identify with that somewhat? I mean, you've been in a situation where you cry out to the Lord for help. And you don't want an analysis. You want deliverance. Now, haven't you ever found that interesting? Because doesn't Jesus know... He knows all things. Doesn't he know how long the boy has been suffering these things? Absolutely he knows. And one of the advantages we have to be able to look at this and read this and go over it, an advantage that the father there on the scene did not have, is that these things are given to us as examples and we can look at the, the, the many examples we have in Scripture of God aiding His people, delivering His people. And we, and we can look at passages like Romans 8.28 and know that things happen for a reason. And that there's a, a proper, divinely appointed time. So there's a reason Jesus is doing what He's doing. And we may not always understand it. Why doesn't... Why doesn't deliverance come immediately? Or sometimes the question would even come out, why doesn't deliverance come at all in this life? God has His reasons, which sometimes uh, are made known to us and sometimes are hidden. What He wants us to do is know that He is able. And what he wants us to do with that, go from there to trusting him. He wants us to trust him. And the man says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, real quickly, there's a there's a this next verse, verse twenty three, there's a little bit of a textual variance here, and that is in some Greek texts, some Greek texts read differently than other Greek texts. And and so consequently you have, different, uh, you have translations that are um, a little different. So, for example, um, the King James reads, uh, uh, I'm looking at the New King James here, but it's very similar to the Old King James, um, says this. Jesus' response is, uh, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So in verse 22, the man says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And Jesus says in response, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Okay, the textual variance is this. There's a little bit different reading in some of the Greek manuscripts. And that word believe the first time, if you can believe, is not present in what scholars believe to be the oldest and most reliable uh, transcripts. Um, and so that's why in the newer versions, uh, a lot of the newer versions, you see something like, um, "If you can," and then there will be an exclamation mark, and then the rest of the sentence: "All things are possible to him who believes." Now, why is it translated that way? Again, because of the different uh, difference in the Greek text behind it. But but here's here's what the translators are doing: verse 23. It's if you can, period or, or exclamation mark. In other words, the man says to Jesus, "If you can do anything, help us." And Jesus says, "If you can." In other words, he's, the man is questioning his ability, and it's and it's like Jesus is saying, "What do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I? What do you mean if I can?" Now, we may not and we don't always understand God's will in a given situation. But we should not doubt His ability. Now, that's, that's what's being expressed here. In fact, Jesus uses the very same word. It's a play on words. Uh, and again, it's the same word again. Uh, dunamis, or at least that's the, it's the root. It's derivatives of the same root. It's where we get our, our word dynamite. And it has to do with ability. So, verse 22, it's translated can, C-A-N. Or in the old King James, you know, canst. Uh, or, or, yeah, did I get that right? I think so. If you can, in other words, if you are able... Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds using the same word, except in our English translations, it's translated possible. If if you can, and there it is also there. If you can, you're questioning whether I can. And then he says, all things can, can be. All things can be. It's a play on words. What do you mean if I can? All things can be. All things can be to him who believes, that is to him who has faith. That's that word pistos I referred to earlier. It just means it's the same. Sometimes translated belief, sometimes translated faith, or a derivative of it will be translated, uh, a form of it will be translated believe or believing or something like that. Uh, but it's the word faith. So the man questions his ability. He's in doubt about Jesus Ability. If you're able, if you're able, do something. Help us. And Jesus responds, if I'm able. If I'm able, all things can be to him who believes. Faith equals power. right? Again, this is the Greek word. Power. Ability. Dunamis. Dynamite. All things are possible to him who has faith. To him who believes. What was wrong with most of the crowd there? They were faithless. They they had religion, but it was religion with no power. And Jesus said to them, you're a a faithless and perverse generation. He didn't say you're non religious. You've got religion, the problem is you don't have faith, and because you don't have faith, you don't have power. And what about the disciples? Let's go back just a minute. To uh, verse 17, Mark 9, verse 17. One of the crowd answered, "This is the man, teacher. I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Um, he gives some of the description here. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they could cast it out. That they should cast it out." But they could not. That is, they were un, unable. They could not. Now let me jump back just for a minute to Matthew 17. It's recorded in both places and uh, just worded a little differently. Matthew 17:19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief or little faith. Now, this is another place where we've got a textual variance. Uh, Some manuscripts read the word I mentioned earlier, apistos, no faith. And that's why mine is translated that way. Because... Of your no faith, your lack of faith. No faith, no power. Why couldn't we cast it out? Why were we unable to cast it out? Because you don't have faith. Or the other, uh, uh, again, what's often considered to be the the more reliable text, have the word little faith there. Um, and, And that may be the better reading because the apostles Believed. They had faith. But little faith. Much less than they should have had. And they were unable, consequently, to cast the demon out. So you've got those with absolutely no faith. The Jews in general. Especially the scribes, Pharisees, the religious leaders who reject Christ—very religious people, but no faith, and therefore no, no power. You've got the disciples, who, again, because of uh, depending on which reading you take, because of either no faith or at least little faith, they have little faith. Lack the power to cast out the demon. No faith, or too little faith, no power. And, and by the way, you remember, uh, Jesus had sent them out earlier with power to do all of these things. Cast out demons, heal the sick. So you know, it must have been a shocker to them <laughs> when, they, when they tried to deliver uh, this, this child uh, unsuccessfully. Back to Jesus' response again. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Or, as I, the alternate I read, if you can, which seems to be the more uh, more correct rendering. If you can, meaning that he's, he's acknowledging the guy's questioning his ability. What do you mean if I can? That would be a paraphrase. If you can, and so then he sets him right. All things are possible or can be, all things can be to him who believes. Now, the man's response, which has always again fascinated me, verse twenty four. Immediately father of the child cried out. And again, think of the desperation. And and what is what is this man doing wrong, by the way? I mean he comes to the disciples. Trusting, you know, that in the power of the power and authority that Jesus has delegated to them, in the power of Jesus' name they're going to be able to deliver his child. That they're unable to do it. He comes to Jesus and things aren't happening fast enough, it, it seems. I mean he he is desperate as you can imagine. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. And now he cries out again. When Jesus says all things are possible to him who believes or all things can be to him who believes, he cries out again immediately with tears. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, one of the reasons that has always fascinated me is because I can identify with it. Because... It expresses so often my, my own heart. We, we believe, yet we know we don't believe like we should. Jesus says to the man, all things are possible to him who believes. I mean, think about that for a minute. I, I know, and, and I could take you to other passages, but I, I know that a lot of times that gets totally perverted and people take it in directions they shouldn't even go with it. What, what uh, I like to refer to as the hyperfaith movement. And, and basically, uh, you ought to just be able to claim anything, and if you just believe, you can have it, because that's what Jesus said. And I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. And they use this passage and other passages um, to prove that. And I'll grant them, on the surface, some of those passages sound that way. But, but you can't just go with a surface reading. <laughs> you have to interpret Scripture by Scripture. You have to go deeper. You have to learn something about the nature and the character of God. And God's will. And all of that comes into play when you're interpreting Scripture. So I don't know, I don't think Jesus is, is just saying, Look, if you can just muster up some faith in it, you know, you can have whatever you want. In fact, I, I think in Jesus' statement, he's he's using hyperbole. Matthew seventeen Verse 20, he says, because, uh, because of your unbelief in response to the disciples. And then he says, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a grain, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. So he says to them plainly, you can move a mountain if you've got just a, just a tiny bit of faith. Faith as a mustard seed. Well, I don't, I don't think he intends for us to move mountains. I don't think that's his point. Not, not literal mountains. Or uproot trees and replant them or cast them in the sea like he says in another place. I think it's hyperbole intended to drive home a point. So at least in an, an analogous sense, the mountains in your life that you face can be removed by faith with just a tiny bit of faith because that's how powerful faith is no faith no power but even a little faith faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain and as jesus said all things are possible to him who believes the same thing he says again here in mark 9:23 But we know, don't we, like the man in verse 24, that our faith is so often not what it should be. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let me say just a couple things here and we'll wrap it up. Jesus goes on to heal this boy. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, "Deaf and dumb spirit. I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. Again, notice the intensity and everything as, as, as the deliverance comes. Isn't that something? I mean, it's not, not just all nice and sweet and clean and neat. It's, that's kind of the way we would expect it and want it a lot of times. It's still that way today. People come to the Lord, and and uh, you know we have the tendency, even though it wasn't our experience, you know we have the the tendency to expect in other people that it just be nice and neat and clean. I mean, I mean, you said you believe now you're delivered, your problems are over, you ought not have any more trouble. Well, this boy's being delivered by he's in the process of being delivered by the Lord, and it's it's not a pretty picture. It's quite dramatic. Scary, uh, frankly. But the end result is, he's delivered. Everybody thinks he's dead. I mean, he just falls out and the people think he's dead. That's what they said. Many said he's dead. But Jesus, verse 27, Mark nine twenty-seven. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, um, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? We read this earlier in Matthew Um, So he said to them, this kind can can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. All right, let me just say this in closing. Two things about faith here. I think one of the points that Jesus is making here, um, well, obviously, number one, faith is necessary. No faith, no power. Faith is absolutely essential. A religion without faith, like Jesus said to the to the Jews there, you're a faithless generation. A religion without faith is worthless. But now we we, we, we have to go further than that. We have to give some kind of definition or some kind of description to faith, right? Because in at least in the eyes of the world today, and I fear in the eyes of many professing Christians today, we, we attribute Genuine faith to, um, you know, things outside of uh, Christianity. At least the world does that. They, they speak of faith all the time. And they talk about, in fact, they use it to describe religions. They, they say different faiths, people of different faiths. What they really mean is people of different religions. But they use the term faith. And I understand why, because they're talking about beliefs, you know, different, different beliefs. But here's the question. I understand using it that way. We I means these people over here believe this. You know, they, they follow the teachings of Buddha. These people over here, you know, they, they follow the teach the Hindu teachings, Hindu writings, and then these people over here believe in uh, Allah and and uh, Muhammad, the Prophet, and they follow um, the Quran. I understand using it in that way, but. Are all those different faiths, quote unquote, all those different religions really legitimate? And the answer is no. In in reality, those are faithless religions, just like Jesus is describing here when he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to a very religious people, specifically the scribes, the leaders in their religion, and he says to them, You're faithless. You're a faithless generation. You don't even have faith. So there can be religion void of faith. Secondly, it's it's not the quantity, not the amount of faith. And that's the way we so often tend to think, doesn't it? And the Bible does use those terms sometimes, you know, little faith. Big faith. You know, the centurion, Jesus said, I've not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. But the main emphasis, the main emphasis in Scripture is on the object of faith. In other words, what is your faith in? And I think that's Jesus' point when he says that if you just had faith as a mustard seed, that is extremely tiny faith, you could move a mountain. Why is that? Why didn't he say, you know, you you have faith as a mustard seed, you're not going to get a lot done. But if you have faith as a mountain, you can move a mountain. Why didn't he say that? That would kind of make more sense, wouldn't it? Well, no, because his concern, again, is the object of their faith. If If you just had a teeny tiny amount of faith, if it's faith in the right thing, then all things are possible. And what is the right thing? Or better said, who is the right person? And it's Jesus. The man's problem here was that he wasn't believing that Jesus was able. At least he was He was believing, but he wasn't believing. He was questioning Jesus' ability. His faith was shaky. The disciples, theirs is a little harder to explain, except Jesus clearly says there's a problem there with their faith. I think... And I'm just, a little speculation here, but they had already been given power to cast out demons, right? And they'd already gone out and done it. So maybe they were just like a lot of us a lot of times. You know, the Lord does something in our life, and then we just kind of get the feeling we can take it on our own from here. And so they're trying to exercise this demon and this child, thinking they have the ability in and of themselves now to do it, and they find that they don't. Just like we talked about in Sunday school, their faith was in themselves rather than in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the object of faith that makes it powerful. Genuine faith has as its object the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it moves mountains. That's why it casts demons out. Faith has power and and i wouldn't want to discount that it is necessary so i wouldn't want to go on one hand to the extreme like we mentioned earlier where some of them just have this hyper faith notion and uh you know they think they can muster up belief and do anything because god said all things are possible so i can i can faith myself into a new car i can faith myself into a, a better job you know i can faith myself into uh becoming the next bill gates uh, or something like that um, that that's, has nothing to do with biblical faith. But on the other hand, I don't want to fall into the extreme of thinking that we're not required to have faith in God's ability to do things. So that even today, if we're literally faced with a demon-possessed individual, what would we say? What would we do? Would we think, well, you know, God's, he, he went out of that business a long time ago. Or would we believe that He is able to deliver them? Or what might even be harder is just just face an average John Doe, who has a pretty good life, but resists the truth. Do we believe that God is able to save that person? And what about all the problems that we are confronted with in our own life and in our own personality? Things that need to be overcome. Do we believe that God is able, or do we just say, well, that's just who I am? And I've made it this long so far, and God hadn't struck me down, so I guess I'm, I guess I'm okay. You know, He'll, He'll perfect me when I get to the other side. Is He able to change us now? Is He able to move the mountains now? So here's the phrase again. Jesus is able. The, the crowd, they had no power because they had no faith. The disciples had little faith and they were unable to cast the demon out. They had They did not have the ability to cast the demon out. The boy's father, he had faith, I would argue, because he came to the right place. He came to Jesus. That's a manifestation of faith. He had faith. But again, his faith was weak. He admitted that himself wisely, humbly. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's questioning the Lord's ability. Even, Even in the midst of bringing his problems to him, he's wondering, can you do this? Can you pull this off? But again, here's the encouraging, encouraging part. He came to the right place. So what do we do? What do we do if we recognize that our faith is not what it should be? Do what this man did. Cry out to Jesus. Focus on Him. Look to Him. See, our, our faith must be in Him. He must be the object of it. And So, even when it's our relationship with Him that's messed up, There's not another counselor to go to to say, can can you help me fix my relationship with Jesus? No, we must go to Him. Cry out to Him. And He is able to do it. He's able to meet all of our needs, physically, spiritually, emotionally. He is able. He was able then. He's able today. And that's where our faith should be. In Jesus' ability. How can we have any confidence that we're forgiven of our sins? Because Jesus is able. What He he did, what He came to do, He accomplished. How can we have any confidence that we're going to make it through this world and remain saved? (laughs) Because Jesus is able to keep us saved. He is able. Would you stand, please?
0: This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church. 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.